much love. My neck, my back, like my pussy and my crack, we're back with another episode of Ravage Love. Hi, Julie. Hello, Renee. How are you? Oh, my God. My book was great. <laughs> That's how I am. Oh, That's it. love it. I love it. You've had such a bad run. So I, I, know. Think, I think we should just start right into it. I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Well, first, you got to tell the kids what it is we're talking about this week. Oh, this week we're talking about mature romance. Mature. Uh, it was difficult to find a title for this week that we <laughs> enjoyed because typically it would be like MILF or something really offensive. <laughs> I mean, not that there's anything wrong with being a MILF, but the term itself. Uh, but mature is the porn category for women like over 40. So mm -hmm. it seemed like it would work. This week, I read a book that had truly mature women. So these were women in their 70s. Nice. So I found a gem and I am pumped to tell you about it, especially because I am excited to talk about this author that I was really excited to read one of her books. So it's Courtney Milan. Why does that sound and familiar? Well, that's because she was on the board for the Romance Writers of America and oh. she, yeah, so she was pushing for diversity on the board and in the organization. And in 2019, she called out a fellow Romance Writer of America author's racism and then was suspended as a result, basically kind of lateral violence, internal struggle, like basically you're making us look bad by calling out racism and, you know, stand with us and or don't stand at all. So there was a major shakeup as a result. Mass resignation. She ended up getting reinstated, but it really sparked this massive conversation within the world of romance, writers, and enthusiasts on the lack of diversity and the fact that we can't even talk about the lack of diversity without being impacted. So that's how I came to know Courtney Milan. She's very active on Twitter. I recommend following her. But when I looked her up, so she, it's the pen name of a woman whose name is actually Heidi Bond. And oh, she that's writes. That's a great name, though. Right? I was like, Heidi, Heidi Bond is like a fantastic name. But I realized there's a, I think a reason why she had a pen name. Because she, prior to writing, she was a lawyer. And she was sexually harassed by Judge <gasps> Alex Kaczynski, who then resigned his lifetime appointment as a result. Wow. So, yeah. So she was sort of known in her career for having been... Um, yeah, speaking out about the issues. And then as a result, this high profile person resigned from his position. So I can totally see the desire to have a whole other identity as a romance writer. She writes primarily historical and contemporary romance. She did have a publisher at one point, mostly self-publishes. Uh, so it's a bit of a mix. And as for her, she's based in the US. She's 45. She's biracial. And she's bi. Nice. The book I picked up, yeah, loves to see it. And I'm telling you, she's so funny and amazing on Twitter. So definitely follow Courtney Milan on Twitter because it's one of my favorite follows in the romance world. So this week I read Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure, Ooh. which was written in 2019. And it is a historical romance. And in true Julie Lillian form, I did not seek out queer content, but it is <laughs> queer. So I was like, I'm sorry, is this about queer women in his, which I love. So check that box. Historical, which I love. And then three, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually am a gerontologist by trade. So I went to grad school to study elderly women living in poverty. So Older women are my jam. So like this, the Venn diagram of this book, I am the circle in the middle. Let's just say <laughs> this book was made for me. So our story begins in Surrey County, England in 1867. And Violetta Beauchamp, which right away, loving the name, is a 69-year-old unmarried woman. Hey. Hey, girl. 69. <laughs> hey, oh. And she worked at the same boarding house for 50 years and she was promised that when she finished like when she retired and finished her career that the owner of the boarding house would take care of her well what did he do he fired her a few months <gasps> her retirement so he wouldn't have to take care of her so violetta beauchamp is not an attractive woman by her own admission she uh has like bad hair she's like sort of cross-eyed 
Um, and so she's been unmarried her whole life and now she's 69 and therefore kind of, you know, left to flounder on her own because back in the day, I mean, we're terrible now if we're taking care of our older folks. Back in the day, if you were an unmarried woman, you were screwed, especially if you were old. So she comes up with a plan and she goes over to Mrs. Martin's house with the intent to kind of swindle her. And, And the reason for that is that she has... Violetta runs, well, you know, runs but doesn't own this boarding house. And she has this guy who hasn't paid his rent in almost two years. And she found out that his aunt, Mrs. Martin, is filthy rich. So her plan is, I'm going to go see this woman. I'm going to pretend that I'm the owner of the boarding house. And I'm going to say, can you please pay your nephew's debts? And then I'm just going to take the money and I'm going to live off of it and just bounce. So it's kind of a lie, but kind of not, right? Okay. Because, you know, he really did, he didn't, he hasn't paid his debts in two years. Like, that is an absolute fact. But, so she goes over there and she says, hey, you know, I have this lease here where your nephew signed, like, you and your nephew signed together. And it says here that if he wouldn't pay his rent, that you would pay it for him. So I'm here to collect because, you know. And she's like, um, cute, but I didn't sign that. He forged that signature and let me show you my signature. That's not what it looks like. Oh, fuck. So Violet is like, well, my plan just fell apart. So then she starts to just starts to cry and says, you know, like, I really don't want to bother you. But, you know, he won't leave and he hasn't paid in two years and I could rent that room out to someone else. And so Mrs. Martin decides that she will visit the boarding house kick her nephew out and then reimburse Violetta for her troubles. So Violetta's like, okay, okay, this could work. It could still work. I still salvage this. But she shows up there and with Violetta and the nephew basically calls her bluff. And he's like, what are you going to fucking do about it? I'm your only living relative. When you die, your money comes to me. Um, you owe me, bitch, because I'm a gentleman. I shouldn't have to work. I'm a man who should be taken care of, and I should be taken care of by you, because you're an old bitty and no one likes you. Ugh, trash. Absolute garbage. This man is a classic mansplainer. But what is fan-fucking-tastic is the shenanigans that Mrs. Martin and and Violetta get up to to try to basically drive him out of the boarding house. (laughs) So, but then she realizes, okay, this is not, this is going to take more than a day. So she's like, can I come, can I come just stay with you? And Violet is like, uh, yeah, you can, but like my apartment is small and it's just me and it's not great. And so she ends up sleeping over and there's a little bit of tension on both. You kind of see the perspective of both of them being like, oh, I'm kind of vibing with this woman, but like, oh, I don't want to say anything. But they end up having these really great, like deep conversations about ageism and being a woman and basically how invisible they feel in the world. And, you know, Mrs. Martin is like, people just want me for my money but no one really cares about who I am as a person. And then Violet is like, yeah, I'm 69. I don't have a job. I have no children. I'm fucked. And like, I've worked my whole life and I have nothing to show for it. So it's actually this like very profound conversation that they have about feeling invisible in the world. The next day, Mrs. Martin, who's cheeky. So this woman is like sassy, cheeky. She's always got like a little bit of a twinkle in her eye. And I fucking love her from the jump because she takes no shit from nobody because she's protected by the fact that she's rich. So she shows a little bit of vulnerability to Violetta, but like to everyone else, she's just a dick to people because she's like, fuck you. What about it? I can buy your silence. And she's not wrong. Mm -hmm. So they decide to go like full fucking Macaulay Culkin home alone style, like just coming (laughs) up with fucking ways to get rid of this goddamn man. So they hire a choir to sing outside (laughs) of his door. (laughs) Then he's like, and then leaves. Then they hire a bunch of like farmers to put a bunch of geese in his room so (laughs) shit and squaw everywhere um that doesn't seem to work but it pisses them off so they just go through like they fucking like put flour and like feathers in his bed and they just like literally just (laughs) troll this guy hard (laughs) and in doing so violetta and mrs martin are like having fun and they're kind of like this is fun and violetta her whole life has been in this subservient position of cleaning up after a boarding house and And so she's never felt like she's very, she acquiesces, she's very submissive. And here she is hanging out with this woman who's like kind of rubbing off on her and being like, fuck it, we're old and people don't take us seriously anyway. So like, who gives a shit if people think that we're like bad shit? Because who gives a shit that didn't think it care about anyway? So then there's this scene that if it was a movie, okay, picture, remember when we watched Ghost together? 
Oh, um, how could I forget? <laughs> and they're at, like, you know, they're making the pottery and it's like sensual. So picture that with bread cutting. <laughs> because Mrs. Martin has never done anything for herself her whole life because she's been rich forever. And so she's staying at Violetta's apartment and Violetta's like specialty meal is she makes her this like bread with melted cheese. And she's like, I know it's really simple. And, and Mrs. Martin's like, oh my God, I haven't had this since I was a kid. I'm so obsessed. And she's like, let me prepare it. And she clearly doesn't know how. So then Violetta like stands behind her and shows her how to cut through the bread. And you're like, woohoo, sparks. So picture <laughs> like, yeah, the longing that that so many readers love about romance novels. Well, it comes out in them cutting bread in a sensual way together. So <laughs> then Mrs. Martin basically says, I promise to take care of you. Regardless of what happens, we're going to stick to... So it's not sexual, necessarily. It's like, there's a subtext, but it's basically like, we're two old, unmarried women who've been fucked over by society. Let's stick together, even after this happens. But in Violetta's mind, she was just going to take that money and bounce. So now she's, like, torn, because she's like, oh, I do really like her, but I'm not good enough for her, and there's all this tension. So they basically spend all this time trying to terrorize the nephew, and then finally the nephew says fuck this, I'm going to go to the police or to the courts and I'm going to argue that you are mentally incompetent. Ugh, classic. Right? Classic. Fucking dude move. So then Mrs. Martin says to Violetta, fuck it, I'll just buy the boarding house. I'll just buy the boarding house from you and take it over. But then Violetta's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Fuck it, I just got to tell her the truth. I don't own the boarding house. I just said that because I wanted the money, but now I actually really like you. So I don't want to fuck you over, but you can't buy the house from me because I don't own it. And you're like, oh, oh, this is like the big tension. And then plot twist. Mrs. Martin's like, duh, bitch. I knew you didn't own that boarding house. I knew you lied. And she's like, what? What do you mean? She's like, um, because your apartment is shitty. And you would <laughs> live in a shitty apartment if you had the means to own an entire boarding house. She's like, I figured it out on day two. I got my lawyers to look into it. I found the actual owner. I bought it from him. NBD. And Violet is like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You don't hate me for it? She's like, nah. I mean, it was... I get it. Like, you're just trying to make do and we're all just survivors in our own way. And I'm like, oh my God, I fucking love it. So then they fuck. Yes. Yes. And it's like so sweet because they talk about like from their different perspectives and like how Mrs. Martin and is like, oh, all the things that I was told were ugly about me that Violetta's like tracing her little like aging spots and like, like kissing her little wrinkles and stuff like emphasis on like all the parts that the people think are ugly about us we appreciate in each other and i was like oh sweet jesus then they wake up the next morning and classic move mrs martin's not there Violetta's like oh fuck she bounced on me but there's a note and it says meet me at three o'clock at the boarding house now an important detail was that beside the boarding house is a cat house And I will read you a passage between a sex worker and the shitty nephew that is fucking hilarious. So she shows up, Violetta shows up there where she's told to meet at the boarding house and she sees a bunch of fire trucks and she's like, huh? And then Mrs. Martin's like, watch this and just sets the house on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And Violetta's like, um, what the fuck are you doing? She's like, well, I own it now. So I'm going to burn it to the ground and then he can't have anything at all. And then Violetta's like, okay, cool. But also like, there's like a house next door with a bunch of workers in it. And she's like, oh no, no, I paid them off. I told them all to just leave. I knew that I told them this was coming. So I bought that house too. And I'm going to burn it to the ground. (laughs) And then Violetta's like, what the fuck? She's like, well, I own it. I could do whatever the fuck I want. Now, of course, the nephew rolls up and he's like, ah, and he's like, this is the proof that you're incompetent. And she's like, oh, don't worry. I got this. So then they go to court and she wins because she's like, this dude has unpaid debts to Monsieur Madame Tunmon. He's a fucking scoundrel. He's a loser. I'm an upstanding member of society. Yeah, you might think it's weird, but like I can burn a house to the ground if I want to. I own it. It's my house. And the court's like, good point. Also throw his ass in jail for all of his unpaid debts. Nice. So then he goes to jail, but then you find out, ooh, he might get out in about 10 years. And she's like, <laughs> what do I do to make sure he can never come after me ever again? Oh, I know. I'll just piss away all of my money so that when he comes out, he will have nothing. (gasps) So she hires all of the sex workers and gives them jobs. (laughs) (laughs) And they move in together into her fancy castle. And she's like, and this is our life now. We're thriving. The end. Oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) Wasn't that amazing? (laughs) That sounds like the best story of all time. Oh, it was just like a real, like... Oh, it was so good. And I honestly kept picturing it as a movie 
because like I was like this is has all the perfect elements of a movie because it's like kind of slapsticky at some points but then there's like actual like prof- like it just has all of the makings of an amazing rom-com if Hollywood wasn't both homophobic and ageist they absolutely could crush this movie because it was so funny like not laughing at it like actually fucking funny and like all the ways that they were trolling the nephew I was just like here for it but then yeah had this like beautiful commentary on how ageism sucks and like just because you're an old woman doesn't mean you don't have a sexuality and doesn't mean that you're not like looking for love oh so good so I'm only gonna give it three out of five on the spice factor because there was only one incidence of them like one case time that they fucked and the sexual tension wasn't that like intense throughout but there was still some spiciness so i'm giving it three out of five jalapeno cheese toast um because yeah it did have some spice in terms of genital descriptions literally just used the word sex like she was like she touched her sex and i was like oh that's an interesting choice um, mm-hmm. So there's just the one incidence or one instance of them um, fucking, but it was very sweet. And the writing was really good. Like I said, when it was like cheeky, funny. Um, yeah. And like the nephew is absolutely a caricature of a mansplainer and they like definitely lay it on thick. And there's like a lot of parts where Violetta literally says, not all men are like that. And Mrs. Martin's like, yeah, bitch, they all are. <laughs> oh, I love so, it. Like, Mrs. Martin is one of my favorite people I've ever dealt with. Um, and her full name is Bertrice. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Bertrice Martin, that. who's basically the femme daddy in that relationship. So I uh, highly recommend if you want to uh, have a little... F- it's short. Also, I think it was like 115 pages. Came out in 2019. Um, so it's very easy to find. And it's called Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure by Courtney Milan. Oh, my God. I need to tell you who I pictured. <gasps> Ooh, please do. Helen Mirren. Yes. Sally Fields. <gasps> Ooh, I like that. Who's the bougie one? Helen, Helen Mirren. Mir- Helen Mirren. Yeah. Yeah. And it's set in, in the UK. So, like, give her an yeah. authentic accent. Yeah. No, that is a solid choice. Ooh, I love that. I would also I would also cast um, Mia Farrow in my Sally Field role, except she's got a lot going on right now. And, oh, uh, yeah. She's yeah. real busy. But, I mean, mm-hmm. if she wanted to get back out there, because part of the Faro, Faro, whatever, that, how you pronounce it, versus Allen documentary is all of this proof that Mia Farrow's career was also derailed by Woody Allen. So, Mia Farrow might want an opportunity to get back in the game, and I think this mm-hmm. would be a perfect role for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Ooh. I'd also take Sissy Spacek. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but Helen Mirren, no hold bar. Like she... 100%. Helen Mirren would have to be Mrs. Martin. I mean, yeah. this is just obvious. Very good point. And she has mm-hmm. the sass and the, like, she literally has a hand tattoo. Like, she takes no shit from nobody. Um, so, like, Helen Mirren for life. Um, yeah, and I feel, I feel the only way it would be a little bit complicated in Hollywood is because they emphasize several times how unattractive Violetta is and there are just no unattractive women in Hollywood. So that would be a little bit harder. So they'd probably have to change that piece. But I love your casting choices. Thank you so much. It's my only skill. Um, only skill. Thank uh, you. Uh, I love it. Also, I was thinking of... Um, what's his name? McAvoy? What's his first name? James Ooh. McAvoy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the shitty nephew. Because nice. I just picture him in like all those like British stuffy movies. And so, yeah, he's like a mansplainer. Or Chris Pine with a really good British accent because he could do that uh, role real well too. Because he, he is, is a good-looking man in the sh- in the book, but a piece of shit. Okay, but Chris Pine is a spicy daddy, especially oh. as, like fucking King Arthur with that beard. Mm. Ooh, mm. Chris Pine, I I am absolutely a pine nut for sure. Like, yeah, could give a shit about being a cumber bitch, but Chris Pine all day, every day. Yeah, hundred percent. I am desperate to know what book you read because you, I'm so excited that you finally had a good book. I did. And you know what? Um, it, I would not have classed this as a mature book. Oh, Um, I would have really liked to have had a book with an older woman. The reason I chose this was because my character is very menopausal. And I thought that was a good thing to bring up because we don't talk about menopause and romance, but, as I read the story, it turned out it's it's early menopause. She's actually only 38. So she's like our age, um, which I was disappointed about. I would have loved like 
an elder romance I was here for. But a lot of what I was, what I could find was like the older man, like baby narrative or like, um, I did find an entire series about menopausal middle-aged witches, but I didn't know if there was going to be fucking in it. So I passed. Um, but uh, so, you know, there is an entire series just about menopausal witches, um, that exists and they look fantastic fantastic there's ghosts there's gargoyles all kinds of shit in them but i didn't know if there was fucking so no i mean priorities i'm here for mm-hmm. it but my book definitely had fucking julie and Ooh, um, tell me yeah i texted you last night to say it was giving me heart palpitations which oh, is mm-hmm. also a symptom of menopause so maybe <laughs> i'm also in early menopause so my book was called midlife harem Ooh. by jl subtle <laughs> Yes. And I'm not going to tell you what type of of book she typically writes, but um, I will say that her bio talks about how much she loves her dog, like loves her dog. And it's a picture of her and her dog. And I just thought that was really cute and funny. Um, And I was like, yeah, you're a dog woman and that's okay. You do you. Yeah. Um, so my book is about Kelly with an E. Kelly at the end of the Y. It's E. Y E. Um, and Kelly is, like, that an- is I'm I'm like, what? Okay, spell that out again. K-E-L-L-Y-E. So like Kelly. Like <laughs> that's okay. like how I read it. Um uh, as you fucking should. Yeah, and sometimes like the E was not there, which I think was obviously just a typo, but I was like, would that not have been easier? Like why Kel Yi? Like I don't know. <laughs> Um, was so, Kanye behind this? <laughs> no, but this in my head, that's Kel Ute. It's a very Alberta name because we don't in Alberta they don't spell anything properly. Like, oh, it's, okay, it's just it's gotta be yeah. edgy all the time. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. I don't. It's all English names unless it's like Hunter, but it might be like P H U N T H R Y. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, also, a lot of Neveas. That's a very popular Alberta name, which oh. is Heaven spelled backwards. Oh my God, of course. The number of little girls in Alberta called Olivia or Novea is out. It's unbelievable. Anyway, I digress. So, Kelly, with an E, is 38 years old. She's a very successful interior designer, and she's experiencing heavy-duty early menopause. And she's really disappointed about it because, like, although she chose to be, like, successful and, and you know, she's had a thriving business, um, you know, she did really want to have a family one day. And so um, she's disappointed in, in this menopause. And she's also disappointed because, like, surprise, surprise, she went to her doctor and they couldn't find anything hormonally wrong with her but you know they kind of were like walk it off sweetheart (laughs) you know so not thrilled but kelly with an e has received a call um from her father who's in a small town called bent river oregon and her father is a farmer who is suffering from dementia and it's accelerating rapidly so she's decided you know that she's going to sell her business and she's going to go live with her dad in oregon and take care of him in his you know his twilight years because he is he is degrading rapidly so she heads out she goes over there as she arrives she meets just a tall glass of water called scott ellis but Scott Ellis is like half her age, she assumes. And, you know, she finds out that he's been living on the farm, helping take care of her dad. Um, you know, he doesn't really get paid a lot, but he's able to live on the property rent free. And so, you know, he cares. He's got a big heart. So he's happy to be there to help her dad. And and he was the one who actually called her to get her to come and help. Um, He's a senior in college. He's 26 years old just fucking spicy. And whenever she meets him, she starts to have like a really heavy hot flash and she's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. So she runs into the house and she's like, I'll see you later, Scott. And she just goes to like kind of get a glass of water and and cool herself off. Then she gets tased in the back. (gasps) Out of nowhere. She gets tased in the back by her father who didn't recognize her. So (laughs) Kelly with an E was actually sent away when she was 12 years old after her mother died in a car crash and she was sent to live with her aunt. Um, I find out later the reason for this was that for the father, you know, it was just so difficult for him to to see his wife and her daughter 
or in his daughter. And so he wanted her to have a better life than she might have in the country. So he sent her to live with with her aunt, who was really kind of cold, but, you know, provided well for her, helped her, you know, grow into like a successful woman, blah, blah, blah. So she gets tased in the back. And then Scott runs and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, this person was trying to steal all my money. And he's like, that's your daughter. Like, what are you doing? So we know like how bad his dementia is. And so he kind of snaps back and he's like, oh my God, like, I'm so sorry, Kelly, what are you doing here? Like, did your aunt drive you? And she, he, she's like, no, I'm, I'm 38. Um, so this goes on and, and she's, you know, she's deciding, okay, well, I'm here now. I'm going to take care of things. I'm going to, you know, maybe just like redo his house a little bit, um, you know, make, cause it's really dirty. It hasn't been kept up. Um, and she, so she's, she's prioritized her father in her life and that's what she's there to do. Um, Meanwhile, like she's really, really struggling with these hormonal things, but she's also like real hot for Scott. And she's, she's, you know, she's not happy about it because she's like, you know, he is so much younger than me. And, and, you know, that's really weird. And she, she's at this point in her life where she's like, my boobs are kind of starting to sag. And, you know, she got some cellulite. She feels really apprehensive about how she, how she looks, which is, you know, very common with aging. I feel it every day. Um, I'm like a melted snowman. Um, but I take so, um, you know, but being on the farm has kind of helped her feel less run down and sluggish and, you know, kind of under the power of her bonky uh, hormones. But she is so horny for Scott. She has like these vivid dreams about him. And um, one day, you know, her dad like just can't function. So he's sleeping. And, and as the story goes on, he sleeps more and more and more. So Scott's like, hey, I really need help. Um, in the farm. Can you help me come and do stuff? And so she goes out to help him and she's really worried. She's going to have another hot flash. Cause she seems to have them all the time around Scott. And, um, sure enough, um, she does, but then she finds herself just like feeling really bold and she just like kisses him. And he's like, yes, this is what I've wanted since I met you. You're beautiful. I'm so drawn to you. Um, yeah. So they fuck and it is Spicy. They fuck up on some hay. They literally have a roll in the hay in the farm. Um, and it's great. Now, as a farm girl myself, I would never fuck on hay. Not only is it is it itchy, there's fleas in it. But, uh, yeah, but it's like this romance. Yes. Like you get Lyme disease from a roll in the hay, but we're yeah. just too practical. Let's suspend disbelief. Continue. That's right. This is romance. So She's really feeling good about herself right now. You know, she she gave into this urge. She hasn't had like sex or relationship or anything really ever because she's been so committed to growing her her business and 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 being successful. So she's back at her home and there's a knock on the door. And she opens the door and there's this huge man there. And he is like huge and he's big. And she's like, this guy's really imposing. I'm scared of him, but I'm also kind of like horny for him, but whatever. So she finds out that this guy, he's like, I need to see your dad, Marvin. Um, he is selling me his property. I need him to sign this document. And she's like, sorry, who are you? Like, who are you with? Like, what? Wh my dad's not, I don't know about this. I'm not selling you his property. And he's like, I don't need to listen to you. Um, I need your dad to sign this. She's like, no, he has dementia. Like, he would never agree to sell this property. Like, he lives for this property. Get out of here. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving. Like, you know, I'm not taking orders from you. Give me your fucking dad to sign these papers. And she's like, no. Like, this is not going to happen. And so he gets more and more and more aggressive. And she's like torn because she is kind of into him. But she, he's very scary at this point. He's like, I'm going to get that signature. And she's like, no. And so she finally, like, talks to her dad. And she's like, what is this about? And he's like, I don't know. And then sometimes he's pretty lucid as, you know, what happens with dementia. Sometimes he's very lucid. Other times he's not. He confuses her for, like, her mother and all this stuff. So finally, she finds out that he actually agreed to lease the back quarter of their property to this guy whose name is Jim. Um, and then we find out from Scott that Jim's actually, like, a drug trafficker. And so he wants the back part of the property because it runs along a river and he's going to be able to transport these drugs easier. And she's like, fuck. So she ends up constantly having to fight with this guy who keeps showing up and like being awful to her. Um, and then one day she's in town and she's trying to find some furniture for the house. Cause she's a, her dad has agreed to let her kind of change some things, but she's not changing too much. Cause she doesn't want to like hurt his, 
you know, hurt him in his illness, but also like changed too much because her mother had decorated the home. But she has permission from him to get a few things. So she decides to go into town and go to this furniture maker um, who we find out his name is Carl. And Carl is also very spicy. Ooh. And he's he's her age and he's just like lovely. And he's like, yeah, I'm making these pieces of furniture. He's like an incredible woodworker. And he's like, I'll deliver them to your house. And like, do you want to have dinner with me after? And she's kind of like torn because she, you know, she's had sex with Scott now and she really liked it. But she's like, you know, he's, he's too young for me. And this Carl guy seems like super nice. And she's like, yeah, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll take, I'll go, I would love that. So he shows up and she's like wildly overdressed. And so she goes to change and she comes back out and they go to this really cool restaurant. That's like, brand new but it's like built in this old ravine um in this old building and she has this like lovely dinner with him and then he takes her back to like his shop because he he's built like a new piece of furniture he wanted to show her and she's kind of worried because like she finds out that like he lives in the shop and she's like you know i'm a successful person and like i don't i want a partner i want an equal i don't want somebody i have to take care of which is like yeah girl i get it um and then she, you know, she finds out from him that actually, like, no, he just never saw the need to, like, buy a home and this and that. So she's like, okay, yeah, this is all right. But meanwhile, she's still getting these hot flashes. And she's like, oh, my God, like, this, my hormones are out of whack. Like, this is bananas. Every time I'm around, like, a spicy man, I get these hot flashes and it's awful. And um, they bang up against a door. Um, and it's really spicy. And they cuddle. And it's really lovely. And she's you know she's like this is great so she takes he takes her home and then some goons show up at her door and they're like colombian and they're like we're gonna take this property and she's like no way like you can't do that um and they're gonna threaten her like she's really scared she's scared for her dad she's scared for everything but then carl shows up delivering um furniture and they just like don't even mess around like they just see him and they're like uh oh like no but he's not like a big, huge guy like Jim was. And these guys work for Jim. So he's kind of like, she's kind of like, what the heck is going on? But they're just like, they just flee in his presence. And, you know, meanwhile, she's like getting these hot flashes and she's like, oh, he's so spicy. And so, you know, she's kind of like, what was that about? And he's like, oh, they just don't mess with our kind. And she's like, what do you mean? Well, Julie, he's a bear shifter. Oh! <gasps> He's a bear shifter. Yes. Yes. And we find out, Julie, she's not having hot flashes because of menopause. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's a hybrid shifter. And she's finally coming into her shifting power and stuff. So actually, she's an omega. And it turns out that Scott and Carl are both alphas. Oh. And they're drawn to her, and they've both imprinted on her. <gasps> yes. So she's trying to figure out, like, what the fuck? Like, I don't understand. Like, she's not, she doesn't believe what they're saying to her, but they're trying to explain, like, yeah, you're an Omega. You're an Omega. And so then it starts to make sense to her what Jim was saying. Like, I don't have to take anything from you. I don't need to listen to you because she's an Omega. And I had to Google this, Julie, because... I didn't understand the difference. Like, I, obviously, we know alpha, blah, blah, blah. But there's a beta and an omega, and I didn't know the difference. So I had to Google it. And beta means neutral, and omega means submissive, which is really strange to me, g- given that, like, I'm the omega. It sounds like, you know, the most powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I also found out, though, is that because she's a hybrid, because her father's human and her mother was a shifter, she's actually more powerful. And... I, I was able to link this back to that other shifter book I read. When you're a hybrid, you might be able to shift into a whole other animal, too. Um, she does not. It turns out she has a whole different power. But they're, they're explaining this to her and, and they're, you know, all of that. The one day Jim shows up and he kidnaps, he kidnaps her. He just takes her. And he's like, one way or another, you are going to fucking sign this paper. And she's like, I'm not going to do it. But then she decides, well, if I'm really an Omega and he's really an Alpha, well, maybe I can like have sex with him and it, he'll let me go or like he, it'll distract him enough for me to get away. <clears throat> so she has sex with him and she's really into it, but she's also really nervous as well because he's this big, scary bear. Like he's a bear. And we find out that he's actually the leader of 
the bear clan in that area, even though the clan's pretty like scattered. Um, and she's really, really into it. He's very dominant, but it does the same thing that it does in a lot of my books where like he just fucking rams his dick in her asshole. And I keep, I keep seeing this in a lot of books. It's like where there's no lube, there's no like foreplay, like asshole foreplay. And I, I realize that these people have never had anal sex if they're writing anal sex this way. And as, yep. as a butt sex enthusiast, you just, you can't do that. And then what does he do, Julie? Do you want to guess what he does after he pulls his dick out of her butthole? Does he put it in her mouth? No, he puts it in her pussy, which is uh, UTI. Nope. UTI. U-T-I. Jesus, uh, yeah. people. Fortunately, I mean, like, she's a bear, so maybe she just, like, didn't get one because she's super healthy or whatever. So she fucks this guy. She lets out a, a wild scream when he shoves his bear penis that's just the size of a Coke bottle into her butthole. Um, but she loves it because, of course. And then um, he ends up being like, okay, well, I'm still going to get you to sign these papers. But, like, I have to go put you in this shack for a minute um, away from this building and um, I'll be back. So she, he puts her naked in this shack and she's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. What am I going to do? So she's kind of testing the walls to, like, see if she can escape. And she just is freaking out. She's anxious. So what does she do? She shifts into a bear for the first time. She fucking takes out the window and gallops out of this this place as a bear and she's like wow my senses are heightened and she like goes for a little paddle in the river and she's just like loving it she gets back to the farm and then she realizes she doesn't know how to unshift oh damn yeah, so she goes to like scott and he's like you know you're pretty good looking for a bear like he's like in terms of like lady bears you're an attractive lady bear like your haunches and i was like that's cute um and then he kind of teaches her how to like unshift um and so then they call, she's like, Jim kidnapped me. And he's like, what the fuck? And so he calls Carl and Carl shows up and they're like, we got to fucking talk to Jim. And Jim shows up and they're like, what the hell? And then we re- we find out, Julie, that they're all brothers. Of course. They're all brothers. And when Jim was fucking her, he also imprinted on oh, her. Oh my Lord, this woman. S- this woman. So the three of them have all imprinted on this one woman who just found out she's a shifter who has just recently shifted into a bear for the first time and is making love to three different people and she's just like what the hell um (laughs) so because she never signed this paperwork carl and scott are like jim you need to like fucking stop you need to stop with this drug trafficking he's like i can't i have these people in columbia so they decide they're all gonna like stay there and protect her because the columbians are gonna come back after her for the signature um and eventually she just decides, like, you guys can stay on the porch. Um, fuck all of you, though. And they're like, this is really normal for our kind, though, that we all like we can't control imprinting, you know. And like, yeah, we're brothers, whatever. But like, you know, we all love you and we're all here now. And like, this is normal. We're not jealous. It's just like a normal thing. And she's like, I don't I don't understand. So she's staying in her house. She's trying to take care of her dad, who is like declining. He's going to die any day. Um, he's just like never getting out of bed. She's really sad about it. Um, Finally, she's like, you know, I'm lonely and like, I'm so horny for these guys. Like, I'm just going to let them come in the house if they're going to stay here anyway. So she lets them in. And then she starts to develop these relationships with them. And it's really lovely. Um, But one day, like her, you know, she still thinks that she's menopausal and her hormones are just like out of control. Um, And she's like puking all the time. She's not doing well. She's like, she thought maybe she could be pregnant, but she just like realized like it's probably menopause. And so Carl's like, I'm taking you to the doctor, like whether you like it or not. And she finds out actually she is pregnant, but she doesn't know with whose cub she doesn't know, <laughs> but it's so sweet. They all decide like, it doesn't matter to us. Like we're a family and we're all going to raise this, these babies together. And you know, this is great. It's our family. And so she starts to give into this idea that they are a big family and it's really sweet. And they decide like to open like a house flipping business together. And they all just like, it's so sweet. And there's like chapters and chapters about them flipping houses. Meanwhile, she's having triplets. So she's humongous and it's all great. Everything's great. And then the fucking Colombians show up months, months later and they attack her and all the bears are there. So they all just fucking kill them. And she kills one and she's really jarred about it. Um, the next day her father dies and it's really sad, but they have a moment of reconciliation and that's lovely. And then, yeah, they just, they, she has her babies. She has triplets, three little boys. They're all the daddies are super happy and you know, it's lovely and she's happy. 
Later, they're really successful in their house flipping business. They were able to bring all the clan back together to help with the business. And then they have like a three-person marriage. Like this little... It's little so triad. sweet. A little triad marriage. And they have like a three-person bear dance. And it's so sweet. <sighs> and like they, she gets pregnant again. And it's just like this super, super happy ending. Everything was spicy. It was really cut and dry as far as stories go. But I loved, I loved the shifter twist to it. So it was a harem, which I'm all for. Um, Jim became a lot nicer, which is great. She was happy. Happily ever after for everybody. She gained this huge family. It was great. So I'm going to give it uh, five out of five um, chili pepper trouts. Ooh. Because they do, there is a scene where they shift into bears to go frolic in the lake to oh catch fish. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it was very spicy. It was very, very good. Um, all the sex scenes were great. They were really focused on her pleasure. But th- she did mention, you know, she's like, you know, oh, I didn't even discuss protection with them. But because she's like, you know, it, it, I want to have a family. I'll raise this baby on my own anyway. Um, it'd be a miracle if I got pregnant. It didn't matter but i still would have preferred a conversation about um prophylactics yeah yeah but it was great it was really great but i i will never ever like i need romance authors to either go have anal sex or read about it (laughs) i'm with you because people who think yeah like it's not even that it would make it less sexy do you know what i mean like this is what bothers me as a consent educator and women who like who teaches violence prevention all the time where i'm like it's only awkward if you don't know how to talk about it do you know what i mean like even condom usage can be hot like lube can be hot like having these conversations like i don't understand why people are like no it's just hotter if we just ram it in and you're like no you could still like normalize sexual health practices and write spicy erotica it's they're not mutually exclusive i would argue that they actually build on each other yeah and frankly like there are some ways they could have covered this in a shifter book one it's still hot to hawk a loogie into someone's asshole for lube in the right context like you do you right yeah Yeah, yeah. you know they're bears yeah gonna put some honey in her butthole absolutely right there happened lots could have happened um I don't want to read that anymore. In fact, I'm going to go on to make a whole series of romance novels just about anal sex and doing it properly. And, Do it. Um, the people need it, Renee. You got to yeah. give the people what they need. Yeah. Just, ha- you know, for those of you who are curious, go have that conversation with somebody you love and yeah. uh, look at all the different kinds of lube you can get. You can get w- lube with THC in it so you get high at the same time. It's beautiful. There you beautiful. go. Yeah, so that was my story. It was great. Um, that's all I got. Cut and dry. Do you have... Are you reading a spicy scene for us? What are you reading? I'm, I'm not. I actually... I'm reading the very last scene at their wedding. Be, and you're going to know why. I'm going to... Okay. Um, I just I just need to find it real quick. But I picked this scene specifically for you. Ooh. Yeah, I know. You're going to love it. I just need to get there. <laughs> I just need to get there with this this Kobo. Or Kobo Kindle. All right. Here we go. Okay, so they're getting married. It's beautiful. Um, she's talking with her friend. Her triplets are like three years old now, but her friend who's a human married a shifter as well. So they're just kind of chatting about it. Here we go. They both laughed and continued to watch the boys frolic until Jim turned up to cart Kelly with an E away. I believe you owe us the first dance, he said, pulling her towards the wooden platform they built for the wedding, and just for that purpose. Not one of you can dance, she laughed. Try us, he replied, holding her hand as she stepped onto the dance floor to join him. The band began to play their rendition of Forever by Ben Harper as Jim took her in um, in his arms and began dancing around the platform with her. Much to her surprise, his moves had vastly improved since the last time she'd attempted to dance with him and almost come away with all flat toes. From one corner, Scott stepped forward and took his turn, sliding just as beautifully across the floor. She was all smiles as she'd envisioned their first dance as being a complete disaster, especially after they'd refused the dance lessons she suggested. Instead, Scott was also dancing as if he'd been doing it his whole life. Since when can you two dance, she laughed. Since we made Carl give us lessons in his spare time, Scott told her, pausing by the opposite corner to pass her off to his dance instructor. 
So you got them to let you teach them not to smash my toes? She teased Carl as he pulled her closer. Actually, they came to me. They wanted to surprise you, he told her. Melly helped too. She suffered through the smashed toes for you. I'll have to thank her for that. Maybe buy her some steel-toed shoes. I would say it's too late for that, but I've seen Seth dance. She could still use them. Everyone applauded as the song ended, and the band ramped up too. Groove is in the heart by delight. Yes! <laughs> Folks flooded onto the platform to dance with them, including three wet naked boys who hadn't bothered to put their clothes back on after their swim. Ida Mae was close behind, having been uh, watching them as they swim and now trying to corral them back into their clothes. Kelly danced with her little nude cubs for a minute before they were snatched up one by one by their fathers and hauled back down toward the river to put their clothes they discarded back on them. Kelly watched from the platform dancing in and out of her guests happily, but never taking her eyes off her bear, bears, and their fathers. Life just didn't get any better than this. Grooves in the Heart. Okay, so Grooves in the Heart is one of my top five favorite songs of all time. And... Last summer, I introduced Renee to the best mashup of all time, which I highly encourage yes. you to go and check out, which is Grooves in the Heart by D-Light mashed with Orinoco by <laughs> Enya. <laughs> and so you'll hear like, sail away, sail away with the beat. Oh, my God. With the beat of so D-Light's. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you for thinking of me. I had, I, you know, I had so many other scenes lined up, but when I saw that, I was like, no, this is <laughs> it. Has it. To I had, I had to throw this your way. So please, I'm so ready. I really want to read your book, actually. So please hit us with your best <sighs> shot. I'm ready. So I'm setting the scene. We've got okay. Violetta, Mrs. Martin. They're on their way to the boarding house, which is right beside a cat house. And they're on the way to the boarding house to like continue trolling the nephew. <laughs> okay. And... Mrs. Martin hates her nephew so badly that the entire book he's referred to as the terrible nephew and she gets <laughs> mad if someone says like your nephew she's like no the terrible nephew and she calls him like these weird nicknames just to piss him off nice so <clears throat> I'm gonna try to do a British accent but we all know that never ends well for me so she could hear the terrible nephew before she could see him the grating whiny tone of his voice seemed muffled at first compared to the higher higher excuse me higher clearer responses of his companion he was arguing. She couldn't make out what he was saying at first. His words didn't resolve into sentences until she was close enough to appear in the fog like a dark, shadowed thing. He was standing too close to a cloaked woman who was trying not to look at him. Mr. Capish, I have told you and told you again. The answer is no. The girl stood stiff-backed, her face tilted a quarter turn away. She really was a girl. She could not have been older than 24. God cursed terrible nephews the world over. Bertrice wasn't having it. But the terrible nephew was not ashamed. Molly, he was saying, you're only saying no because you don't understand economics. What I'm offering is the same thing as saving. One puts money in the bank, it gathers interest, and your patience is repaid in a few years' time with a good return on your investment. As they drew closer, Bertrice could see the girl's face. She was pretty, round-cheeked, and flushed red with something between fear and anger. Molly narrowed her eyes. Fucking you is like putting funds in a bank, she repeated <laughs> dubiously. Exactly like that. He reached for her hand. She stepped away. Banks have money. Another suspicious look. You don't. So get off already, won't you? He sighed. In a few days time, I shall have the means to be generous. Very generous. I will remember those who were kind to me. As I said, it's a simple matter of economics. Now, are you good at economics or are you poor at them? He set one hand on his hip and cocked one eyebrow as if this devastatingly terrible argument had proved some point. And maybe it had, just not the one he'd intended. Molly stared at him for a moment, as if she had no idea how to answer an argument that not only defied logic, but reason, sense, and propriety at the same time. Then she responded the only way possible. She burst into laughter. Mm -hmm. That, she said, wiping away tears, is the stupidest thing anyone has ever said to my face. Are you sentient, man, or is your head made of bricks? Well, actually, the terrible nephew said, drawing himself up, it's funny you should mention bricks because there's a well-known economic fallacy about construction material that I learned of in my Oxford days. Do you wish to be economically fallacious, Molly? I shall be kind and explain the whole to you. Now, suppose a man has a brick. So engrossed was he in his Oxfordian story of economic fallacy that he did not notice Bertrice and Violetta approaching through the fog. Molly didn't look as if she needed saving, but honestly, it was kindness to interrupt. I will pay double your normal rights, Beatrice Bertrice said, waving her hands from the five feet that still separated them, if you will not engage in intercourse with him. 
The terrible nephew turned to look at her. He let out a great sigh. Molly, beside him, took the opportunity to put a few feet of distance between them. You don't have to pay me, love. I've already said I'm not going to do it. And Bertrice, groaned the terrible nephew, raising a hand to touch his forehead. You never learn, do you? Oh, they tried to teach her. Years and years and years they tried to teach her. It gave her pride that she had never learned. He's my nephew, she explained to Molly. Molly frowned. Have you some religious objection regarding his immortal soul? Oh, I'm fairly certain that whatever soul he has was assigned decamped years ago. There won't be an angel in heaven willing to allow him entry once they get to the bit about how he claimed that fucking him is like putting funds in the bank. Mm -hmm. If they get there, he's done worse before. You do know him to some degree, yes? The corners of Molly's lips twitched. I fucked him once before, yeah? A shrug. He's fast, at least, but it's boring. I'm certainly not about to do it for free. The terrible nephew gawped at this, then straightened. I have explained and explained. It is like putting money in a bank, it is. And it's really, truly not my fault that women like you haven't the head to manage your own finances. Molly let out a louder guffaw. Oh, is that what is? Robbie Bopkins, Bertrice turned to him. You have not been able to manage your finances since you were 13. You spent your inheritance from your mother in five years. You've been living on gifts from friends and credit you cannot repay for three years. Why are you lecturing women about your inability to pay them? How many times must I say it? Do not call me Robbie Bopkins. My name is Capish, Mr. Capish. I once extended the offer to you to refer to me as my dear friends do, but Bertrine leaned closer to Molly. Oh, yes, she said. He did tell me. His intimates call him Clappy. <laughs> Molly, Molly, uh. laughed, Molly laughed harder. I'll have to spread that one round, Lord. Here, Patrice reached into her purse and took out a heavy coin. That's for not fucking him. Please spread the word. Not fucking Clappy here is like putting money in the bank, and <laughs> I am the bank. It's Cappy, not Clappy. And perhaps you do not know, but when, when one says clap in this particular context, it doesn't have positive connotations. It really doesn't. You might want to rethink what you are saying. Oh, oh no. Wait, okay. What? In the context of banking? Bertrice let her eyes widen innocently. Oh, I hadn't realized. What could possibly be negative? Who doesn't want to clap when one visits banks? <laughs> him violetta said behind her all right he can't manage his funds i don't know what you must think of me molly was staring bemusedly at the coin in her hands i didn't do anything i could make my own way yes well Beatrice shrugged we women have to make up for the men in this world don't you think what has clappy here ever done violetta flinched and Beatrice could not help but recall their earlier conversation what could be more certain than angry men getting their way for a moment she faltered just for a moment. Then she remembered. Oh yes, Bertrice didn't care if it was impossible to prevail. She didn't care if foul men with good breeding almost never paid the price for their misdeeds. There had been too many foul men in her life. Oh, my couple keeps slowing down here. And everyone's life. She couldn't make all of them pay, but she had a chance to make this one do so. And Bertrice, the terrible nephew said, you have gone entirely too far. I warned you earlier that you had crossed the line. I must tell you that since I last saw you, I have visited a solicitor. As your nearest next of kin, I have no choice but to have you declared mentally incompetent. I have already filed the paperwork. This was met with silence. Robbie Bobkins, Molly finally said, dropping the coin in her pocket. Your own aunt? How could you? He shook his head. It's only a matter of time now. Have your fun, Aunt Patrice. Enjoy it while it lasts. Everything you do and have done, the flower, the geese, the plasters, it all only proves my point. You are not capable. I don't need to wait for you to die. I'll be given charge of your funds as soon as the courts can see to it. Patrice refused to look at him. She stared instead at Molly, who looked back at her with something like pity. Have a nice day! Out of the corner of her eye, she saw the terrible nephew touch the brim of his hat and walk off. She refused to watch him go. It wasn't a surprise that he'd chosen this course of action. He'd always acted as if her money was really his. His signed fraudulent certies in her name, he assured fellow club members that her fortune was coming to him. He even told women on the street that her money was like a bank. He was waiting for her to give in or die. And now that he realized that she had no intention of doing either anytime soon, he decided to make her wish she was dead. But then they get him, so it doesn't matter. Ew. Yes. <laughs> what a fucking trash heap, though. Ugh. Oh, what a garbage person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. you know what? I'm. I think I'm gonna read your book. It sounds like such a fun story. Oh, it was so fun. Like truly, such a like like a true, like a romp of a situation. You know, just like like just like a true rompy rom commy type slapstick situation. Um, I it's it was very fun. It was very fun, and I'm that. so glad I read it. And I will say that I. And I know you do too as well. Join Courtney Milan in her um, fight to see more diversity in romance. And that includes obviously racial diversity, but also diversity in age. Yes. Um, so the fact that it wasn't that easy to find mature romance is mm-hmm. telling. Yeah. Considering, you know, people and the idea that like, oh, no one finds that hot. How many books have you read where people fuck like zombies, skeletons, mannequins? <laughs> Slenderman. Slenderman. And like you're gonna tell me that like two old people fucking can't be hot i'm like whatever the mature category on pornhub seems to be doing fine so mm-hmm. there's a market for it but it says a lot that yeah like women with disabilities older women are just like desexualized to the point where people don't even think to yeah like they just don't even think to to make them in a se- sexual situation and i think that's bullshit so mm-hmm. <clears throat> i encourage you all to seek that out and I did actually read an article last week, actually, about, you know, the invisibility that, like, older women experience. But at the same time, it's a relief for a lot of them because finally they're, like, away from the male gaze and they can just, like, live their fucking lives. And I am yeah. looking forward to that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The double-edged sword of, like, as women, even if you were queer your whole life and don't date men, but, like, the male gaze defines your entire life, good, bad, or otherwise, and you have yeah. to, like, be nice to men in order to survive in the world. And then when you're invisible, it sucks if you don't have support networks because you really, truly are invisible. But if you're surrounded by love, it can be super freeing. Yeah. To be like, I don't care. I got blue hair and I'm wearing, like, afghans on a tuesday afternoon and like i don't like, give dis- a shit are you just describing me because you just i mean <laughs> i'm describing you new now and in the future and i am 100 percent here for it yeah i i hope that one day you know i don't i have no desire to have sex with you because you're like my sister but i hope that we are like the women in your book one day because you are my helen mirren oh thank you sissy spacek <laughs> You're so welcome. I'm so glad we decided to do this this week. And I really do want to treat it like a call to action. If you know of any authors or any books that involve mature uh, characters and protagonists and antagonists, please let us know. Slide into our DMs, Instagram or Twitter. Email us because it is a gap that we have noticed. And when it comes to finding stories that are diverse in many ways, it is difficult but I've had no difficulty finding stories about black, like written by and about black folks, queer people, even some disability stuff. I found some, but yeah, there's so little that Mm -hmm. involves older folks and it's bullshit, especially because people now live much longer. So the idea that you stop being sexual after you turn like 60. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna spend 40 years of my life not getting it on. Come on now. No. Come on now. Vampires and ghosts don't count. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't give me an old dead ghost. I want like an old woman who's still alive. (laughs) Give me those liver spots. Give me a sore back. Give me like luscious, luscious gray hair. She was talking in my book. She was talking about like, like her white pubes and like how beautiful it was to her to feel like that. She was like getting it on. Like literally, she was like tracing her age spots, like kissing up her wrinkles, like looking, admiring her crow's feet because it was like, oh, years of laughter are written on her face. Like, oh, I got to read stuff about people getting fucked by an octopus, but you're not going to give me an old lady. No, I call bullshit. I I do. I love it. I love it. They didn't have any of that in my book, unfortunately, but I mean, bears. Yeah. Fucking love a good plot twist, though. So good yeah. choice. Such Thank a good you. choice this week. Such great reads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Thanks for joining next, us, everyone. Next week is Inter- uh, International Women's Day. So we're going to read something along those lines. Hells, yeah. We're going to drop you uh, our interpretation of what we would... Yeah, like the ideal women-centric reads is what we will be dropping you next week. I'm revisiting an old author that I adore... 
Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm very excited for that. But yeah, it is going to be uh, our International Women's Day episode. So join us for that. Yeah. And this is great. This was so great. Julie, I love you, my, my beautiful Helen. <laughs> Would you like to sing us out? Yes. I love you too, my beautiful Sissy Spacek. Ravage love. Ravage love. Coal miner's daughter. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>